This kind of love, agape love, is the unselfish, self-sacrificing desire to meet the needs of another regardless of their worthiness of it or their response to it. Welcome to The Word Unleashed with Tom Pennington. Tom is pastor-teacher at Countryside Bible Church in Southlake, Texas. Hello again, I'm Bill Wright, and Tom is continuing his current series with part two of The One Another's, and as we are discovering together, loving one another is the greatest human commandment. Next to loving God, it is the second greatest priority in the life of the believer. But the question remains, is it for you? Can you honestly say that next to loving God, the greatest priority of your life is loving other people? It's a hard question, isn't it? But a necessary one. Examine your heart today as Tom provides some practical steps to loving others in a biblical and God-centered way. Let's join our teacher now on The Word Unleashed. The Hebrew word for love, ahav. It is a reasoned love. It is not a love based on emotion. Let me, let me clarify that. It's not based on emotion, but it's not void of emotion either. It's a love that is your entire being. It's irrespective of the worth or response of the object. It is a self-sacrificial, self-giving love. Here's my definition. This kind of love, agape love, is the unselfish, self-sacrificing desire to meet the needs of another regardless of their worthiness of it or their response to it. Let me say that again. It is the unselfish, self-sacrificing desire to meet the needs of another regardless of their worthiness of it or their response to it. You know, although a definition of the Greek word may be helpful, it's even more helpful to see it in action. What does this kind of love look like in action? What does love look like in work clothes? What exactly is it that our Lord's commanding us to do? I don't have time to show you every practical way that this virtue demonstrates itself, but I do want to show you several key ways that we can practically love one another. Let me give you a little list. This is the point. Number one, do good to others, expecting nothing in return. Do good. To others, expecting nothing in return. Luke chapter 6, verse 32, Jesus, in these timeless words, says, If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. If you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that? For even sinners do the same. If you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners in order to receive back the same amount. But love your enemies, and here it is, do good, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High, for God himself is kind to ungrateful and evil men. You want to show love to other people? Then just start doing good without expecting anything for it, without expecting to be praised, without expecting some return, without expecting them to like you and want your company. Just do good without expecting anything in return. Number two, humbly and menially serve others. Humbly and menially serve others. 
Turn to John chapter 13. Jesus in this passage sets the supreme example of serving love. John 13, you remember, is the night before the crucifixion. Jesus' ministry to the public is done, and now he's ministering his disciples. And verse 1 of John 13 says, Now before the feast of Passover, Jesus, knowing that his hour had come and that he would depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, that's the disciples, he loved them literally to the uttermost, to the maximum extent. He loved them perfectly, completely. And the story that follows illustrates that love. You remember what happens? Jesus, verse 3, knowing that his Father had given all things into his hands and that he'd come forth from God and was going back to God. In other words, Jesus had a perfect handle on who he was and what was about to happen. But in spite of that, notice verse 4, he got up from supper, laid aside his garments, and taking a towel, he girded himself. Then he poured water into the basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel with which he was girded. Now understand what was happening here culturally. In that ancient world, there were no paved roads except for the major highways the Romans had built in a few places to connect the continent. But beyond that, all the roads were dirt. And so as you walked around your city, as you walked from home to a place where you were going to have a meal together, your feet collected the dirt of the road. And as a common courtesy, as you entered that person's home, and also as a way to keep their home clean, they would have the lowest slave clean your feet as you entered the home. It's the same slave who got the privy pot duties. This was the bottom of the rung, and he was responsible to wash the feet. Apparently, in this case, it hadn't happened, and so Jesus, after supper, gets up, or as a part of supper, gets up and pours water into the basin, and he takes that duty on himself. Now understand this, any one of these disciples would have been willing to wash Jesus' feet because it was perfectly appropriate for you to wash the feet of someone who was much your superior. But none of them would have been willing to wash each other's feet. That wasn't heard of in the culture. You never washed a peer's feet. Someone much lower than you was responsible to wash the feet. And so Jesus shocks their sensibilities, and he does so to teach them two lessons. The first lesson is, of course, given in the interchange there with Peter, where Peter, ever the one to put his foot in his mouth, says, Lord, you're going to wash my feet? And Jesus said, listen, you don't understand what I'm doing. Just go along with what I'm telling you to do here. Verse 8, Peter said to him, never shall you wash my feet. Jesus said, well, if I don't wash you, then you have no part with me. Again, Peter, ever eager and impulsive, says, Lord, then don't wash only my feet, but also my hands and my head. And Jesus said to him, he who is bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean. Jesus' point here is that justification, the full forgiveness of sins, is like a bath. And once that's happened, once you have repented and believed in Christ, you are clean, you have been justified, you have been forgiven of sin and declared righteous before God, and you don't need to have that happen again. But as we walk through this world, we do collect the dirt of the world. We collect sin. What are we to do with that? Well, there's to be a continual repentance and confession, and God extends forgiveness. That's like the washing of our feet, and that's to be a daily thing and not 
merely once a day, but often throughout the day. That was the first lesson Jesus wanted to teach. But the primary lesson he wanted to teach comes in verse 12. So when he had washed their feet and taken his garments, he reclined at the table again, and then he said to them, all right, do you know what I did? you understand what's happened here? Verse 13, you call me teacher and Lord, and you're right, for so I am. If I then, the Lord and teacher, washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I gave you an example that you should do as I did to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a slave is not greater than his master, nor is the one who is sent greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, you are blessed if you do them. What's Jesus saying? He's saying, listen, you are responsible to love each other as I love you. And part of what that love means is understanding that there is no service too low, too menial, too servile for you to do to one another. This was the bottom. This was what the lowest slave did. And Jesus said, I do that to you, and you are to do that to each other. You are to humbly and menially serve one another. Number three, we're to practically care for and be generous with those in need. We're to practically care for and be generous with those in need. This is how love expresses itself. Turn to Luke chapter 10. I mentioned this passage a little earlier. It's the story, of course, of the Good Samaritan. In Luke 10, as Jesus illustrates what love to a neighbor looks like, in verse 33, he describes this Samaritan who was on a journey, came upon this man who had fallen among robbers, been stripped and beaten and left for half dead. He came upon him, and when he saw him, he felt compassion. And he came to him, and he bandaged up his wounds, pouring oil and wine on them. Oil and wine was sort of the ancient first aid kit, wine being an antiseptic with its alcohol to cleanse the wound, and oil being to soothe and, and give it some healing capacity. And then he put him on his own beast and brought him to an inn and took care of him. On the next day, he took out two denarii, that would be equivalent to two days' wages, and gave them to the innkeeper and said, take care of him, and whatever more you spend, when I return, I will repay you. Which of these three, Jesus had already mentioned a Levite and a priest who just walked right by and didn't want to get involved, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell into the robber's hands? He said to him, the one who showed mercy toward him, Jesus said, go and do the same. Jesus said, that's how you show love to your neighbor. You care for them in the moment of need, in the moment of difficulty, in the moment of trouble. You see the same point in 1 John chapter 3, where the apostle John says, verse 17, whoever has the world's goods, that means you've got what you need, more than you need, and sees his brother in need and closes his heart against him, how does the love of God abide in him? Little children, let us not love with word or with tongue, but in deed and truth. One way to express the love of God to others is to care for them and be generous with them when they find themselves in need. Number four, pray for and seek to help those in extreme trials. Pray for and seek to help those in extreme trials. Galatians 6.2 says, bear one another's burdens. The word burden there is a heavy unbearable load, a load that cannot be carried by one person. Jesus says, when somebody you know is facing an unbearable load, a trial, a difficulty, a problem that is absolutely pressing them and crushing them, 
then bear it with them. That means pray for them. That means practically help in whatever way you can. And thereby, Paul says in Galatians 6, thereby fulfill the law of Christ. What's the law of Christ? The law to love. We show that we are loving others when we bear their heavy loads with them. Number five, be patient with and quick to forgive personal offenses. Be patient with and quick to forgive personal offenses. This is a way you can show love. There are a number of passages that make this point, but let me just show you one. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 2. In verse 1, Paul says, I want you to walk in a way that's in keeping with the calling you've received. Do that, verse 2, with all humility and gentleness, with patience. And then he says, showing tolerance for one another in love. Now, that translation makes it sound like put up with them in love. Well, there's a sense in which that's true, but there's more to this word. It has more the idea of a patient forbearance, an understanding patient, forgiving spirit. It's really captured in the last verse of chapter 4. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God in Christ has also forgiven you. That's what he's talking about. We can show love for others by being quick to forgive personal offenses. Listen, people sin against you and me all the time. It happens in our homes. It happens in our business. It happens in school. It happens in the church. And we can show love genuine Christian love by not holding on to those personal offenses. In 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 8, Peter says, I want you to be fervent in your love because love covers a multitude of sins. What does he mean? He means love is quick to forgive personal wrongs, to overlook personal offenses. Number six, you want to demonstrate love then gently confront unrepentant sin. Gently confront unrepentant sin. We don't normally think of that as love, do we? Yet listen to the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 2, verse 4. He says, For out of much affliction and anguish of heart I wrote to you. Now, he's describing there, Paul had written two other letters to the Corinthians. He had written 1 Corinthians, which we have in our Bibles, and between 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians, he had written a letter that biblical scholars call the severe letter. It's a letter in which he really jumped on the Corinthians for tolerating sin in the congregation. And he says, I wrote to you with many tears, not so that you would be made sorrowful, but that you might know the love which I have especially for you. You see, we express love for other people when we gently, graciously confront their unrepentant sin. Number seven, don't use your liberty to cause others to sin. If you love them, you're not going to use your liberty to make them sin. Romans 14, 15, as Paul deals in Romans 14 with the whole issue of Christian liberty, he says, for if because of food your brother is hurt, in other words, if you eat something, in this case food offered to idols was the illustration he was using, you are no longer walking according to love. Do not destroy him with your food for whom Christ died. You know what Paul's saying? Be careful what you do. Don't use your liberty and run it out to the maximum and in doing so, cause somebody else to sin. You can love others by being aware that your influence might cause them to sin and avoiding that at all costs. And number eight, and finally, show love by how you relate to people. 
Show love. You can show love for others by how you relate to them day in and day out in the conversations of life. Let me show you what that's supposed to look like. 1 Corinthians 13. 1 Corinthians 13, again, in the middle of this great love chapter, Paul tells us what our day-to-day interaction with people is to look like if we really love them. Here it is. You want to know whether or not you're a loving person? Take the test. Love, verse 4, is patient, kind, is not jealous, does not brag, and is not arrogant. It does not act unbecomingly. It does not seek its own. It's not provoked easily. It does not take into account a wrong suffered. It does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Does that describe your day-to-day relationships with other people? This is how we can express love to others, is by relating to them in this way. Those are some of the crucial ways that we can demonstrate love for others. We've examined the primacy of loving others, the point of loving others. Let's look finally at the path to loving one another. Stay with me just for a moment. The path. You see, not a single one of us, when you look at that list, not a single one of us consistently loves others like we ought to. But if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you're sitting there and you're thinking, I want to, I need to. So the question is, how can we make progress toward fulfilling this basic command of our Lord's? Well, fortunately, Scripture tells us how we can grow in our love for others. Let me give you, again, a brief list. Number one, pursue it. Pursue it. In other words, it's got to matter to you. You've got to chase after it. Listen to Paul, 1 Timothy 6, 11, Pursue love. 2 Timothy 2, 22, Pursue love. Peter, in 2 Peter 1, 7, Applying all diligence, supply love. Pursue it. Let it matter to you that you're not a loving person if you don't show practically that love to others. Number two, pray. Pray that God would strengthen your love for others. 1 Thessalonians 3.12, May the Lord cause you to increase and abound in love for one another. That was Paul's prayer for the Thessalonians. Let that be your prayer for you and for this church. Let us increase in our love. 1 Thessalonians 4.9, Now, as to the love of the brethren, you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. Pray that God would teach you what it's like to love others. Number three, meditate on God's love for you. I won't turn there, but you remember in John's epistle, 1 John, he says, we love, why? Because he first loved us. Reflect on God's love for you and it will cause your own love for God and your own love for others to grow. Number four, study the word of God. You want your love to grow? Study the word. Listen to Paul, 1 Timothy 1.5. The goal of our instruction, Paul says to Timothy, is love. What Paul has written is summarized in the desire to see people love God and love others. So study the word. It's intended to take you that direction. 1 Peter 1.22, you have in obedience to the truth purified your souls for a sincere love of the brethren. As you've responded to the truth, you've become committed to love. Number five, 
Learn from the example of others. You want to love? Watch others. Paul says in 2 Timothy 3.10, you, Timothy, followed my love. You saw me and you saw it in action and you learned. Look at the people you know who genuinely love and follow their example. Hebrews 10.24, let us consider how to stimulate one another to love. Other people can stimulate us to love by their love, by following their example. Number six, obey. Just obey. We're commanded to do this. Hebrews 13.1, let love of the brethren continue. 1 Peter 2.17, love the brothers. 1 Peter 4.8, above all, keep fervent in your love for one another. Just determine before God that as he gives you the grace and strength, you're going to obey. You're going to make this a priority in your life. Number seven, use your spiritual gift in the life of the church. Use the gift God has given you in the life of this church. Listen to Paul in Ephesians 4.16. He says, the whole body, when it's fitted and held together by what every joint supplies, as every individual part works, it causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. You see, when you and I fill the role God has made for us here, when we serve like we're supposed to serve here, the whole church grows in love, including yourself. Lastly, if you want to love others, you must first become a genuine Christian. It may be that your lack of love is because you've never known the love of God. It's because God's love has never been shed abroad in your heart. Listen to the Apostle John in 1 John chapter 3. He says in verse 10, by this the children of God and the children of the devil are obvious. Here it is, it's obvious. You want to know? Anyone who does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor the one who does not love his brother. Verse 14, we know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brethren. He who does not love abides in death. You've got to be a true Christian to truly love, and that may be the issue as to why there's no love for others in your heart. You want to begin loving others. What are some practical steps you can take? Let me give you two. Number one, seek to change your thinking. Let the Word of God change your thinking. Change your thinking about yourself. Listen, it's not okay to be an island. It's not okay to be independent. It's not okay to waltz into this church and waltz out every Sunday and never have a connection with others. That's not okay. Change your mind about yourself. Change your mind about people. They are not interruptions to your life. According to God, next to Him, they're your greatest priority. Change your mind about relationships. This is a big one. Change your mind about relationships. Listen, folks, relationships do not exist to bring us personal happiness and fulfillment. Relationships exist for us to be an instrument in our Redeemer's hands to minister to, to serve, and express the love of Christ to them. So change your thinking. And secondly, just get to know some other people. Seems pretty simple, doesn't it? But introduce yourself to somebody you don't know. Maybe today, say, hey, let's get together this week for a cup of coffee or let's go out for a meal or maybe after the service. Grab somebody you don't know and say, let's get to know each other. Make time to get together. 
purposefully ask meaningful questions about them and listen. Don't just ask them who their favorite sports team is, although that's okay too, but don't leave it there. And listen, and then determine how you can demonstrate the love of Christ to them. Folks, love is very important to God. Loving one another is the greatest human commandment. Next to loving God, it is the second greatest priority in the life of a believer. Is it for you? Can you honestly say before the Lord that next to loving God, the greatest priority of your life is loving other people? That's Tom Pennington here on The Word Unleashed with part two of his current series, The One and Others. Tom will have part three for you on our next broadcast. Join us then. Well, it's our prayer that you'll be enriched by the expository teaching of God's Word here on The Word Unleashed. We'd love to hear your story and how God is enriching you in your walk with Christ through this ministry. Write to us, won't you? Our address is listeners at thewordunleashed.org. Again, that's listeners at thewordunleashed.org. Or you can call us at 1-877-577-WORD. And don't forget to connect with us on social at The Word Unleashed. The Word Unleashed is made possible because of the prayers and financial gifts of individuals like you. Please consider partnering with us. You can find out how to do that by visiting thewordunleashed.org. That's thewordunleashed.org. And now for Tom Pennington and the entire team, I'm Bill Wright. Thanks for listening to The Word Unleashed exalting God's glory, explaining God's truth.